Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Absolute Return podcast. On today's show, we welcome special guest Zapata AI co-founder and CEO Christopher Savoy. Zapata AI is an industrial generative artificial intelligence software company developing solutions and applications to solve enterprises' hardest problems. On the show, we discuss how Christopher went from getting his PhD in a medical field to founding several tech startups, a deep dive into what artificial intelligence is and what it can accomplish, some use cases for industrial generative AI, how the company offers faster, cheaper, and more accurate generative AI. Point of disclosure, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund holds shares and warrants of Andretti Acquisition, a company that has plans to merge with Zapata AI. With no further ado, here's our show on the future of generative artificial intelligence with Zapata AI co-founder and CEO, Christopher Savoy. Enjoy. All right, welcome to the show, Christopher from Zapata AI, co-founder, CEO. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me here, Julian. Yeah, so generative AI is a you know, massive development, especially over the past 12 months, really taken the economy and the market by storm with a ton of applications. So I'm super interested to get into your insights and what you've been working on in that segment. However, prior to getting into that, you have an incredible background. I mean, biology, law, molecular medicine, where you got your PhD, your published scholar in medicine, biochemistry, and computer science. Now you're doing tech and software startups. Can you talk about your background, how you went from law to PhD in a medical field, and now the founder of not just one, but several technology startups? I guess a charitable way to say it is that I didn't know what I want to be when I grew up, and I uh, ended up doing all of the above. But um, no, no, I, I actually, I started programming computers when I was when I was a kid. Um, I got a VIC-20 very early back in the day, and uh, and I think I, I was a frustrated computer science major that never got to do that. I actually grew up a little bit poor and uh, couldn't afford to go to the engineering schools that I had gotten into. And so I went, you know, the, the track that a lot of folks go to in, in being either pre-med or pre-law, and I chose pre-med. Um, med school was never going to work out great for me because I'm a hypochondriac. So uh, that, that was probably a poor life decision to be to be pre-med and eventually med. Ended up in medical research and worked on uh, immune molecules. Actually, I, I became basically a, a biophysicist working on uh, structural biology back on the old indigos back in the day in the 90s. And while I was a grad student, a poor grad student, this thing called the Internet happened. And uh, uh, I was asked at my institute, hey, do you want to learn how to program these Cisco routers? I was in Japan and they're like, you understand English. So you can talk to the uh, Cisco people about this and you can actually, I raised my hand. I said, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, wow. I get to do computers after all. So I learned to do things like program routers and, and switches and, and learned uh, to program HTML, which at the time was a new language and, and, and Perl CGIs and all this kind of stuff. And I used that actually on the side as a side gig to start a, a network consulting company that got funded by a VC 
and uh, Jeffco, one of the larger VCs in Japan. So that was my entree into entrepreneurship, I guess, uh, by running a side side hustle as a web company that uh, actually took off and was doing multi-million dollar deals while I was in grad school. And uh, that was mid-90s. And then Baba Kojat, who's now running AI over at Cognizant and myself, uh, came up with this uh, pretty cool way of using machine learning. I was doing machine learning on these molecules, these immune molecules, to try and find out what letters, what combination of letters of amino acids would give you the right thing for a T cell to want to attack a cell. So for, for that reason, for vaccine uh, development, that kind of stuff. And and Babak had been doing work in artificial life. And, and together we came up with this, uh, this uh, technology to parse language, which was a, a small language model, I guess you could call it. And this was a technology. We spun it out. We uh, moved to California, um, to the Bay Area, and started a company in, in, in Mountain View called Dejima that was eventually acquired by Sybase that actually had the technology, developed the technology that is behind Siri uh, at the end of the day, AAOSA, um, this agent-oriented software architecture that we created. So that was kind of my second uh, foray into entrepreneurship. And so it's been machine learning in a bunch of different areas since then, um, applying machine learning to that space, which was natural language interfaces, and then uh, and mostly in telco in, in that um in that life, and then later uh, applying Bayesian machine learning in another startup that I did, GNI, in the pharmaceutical industry, applying this to gene regulatory networks, using that for drug development. And that company went public in 2007. And then later came back to the States. That's when I did my law degree at night, because why not, right? And uh, and while I was doing that, I was working uh, eventually at Nissan, Verizon and Nissan, doing machine learning applied to battery predictive analytics and a bunch of other things brought the first Hadoop stack into the automotive industry. And that was my first foray into doing mobility stuff. So I guess, you know, the theme is, yeah, a lot of different things, but mostly machine learning across a number of different industries. And then, you know, we, we end up doing uh, generative AI here at uh, the present company, which kind of ties ties it together, together because we're doing this across a bunch of different verticals, a bunch of different industries. So you mentioned the machine learning really tied everything together with with your previous startups, successful startups, I would add. Could you talk about what else were some of the, the key things that key lessons that you learned through these multiple startups uh, that you're carrying forward to today? Yeah, I guess uh, one key thing I learned with Dejima, of course, was, you know, we, we, we had a demo of what could have been Siri back in 1998, working with a VCR and saying, hey, record this and record that. But we didn't have uh, certain technologies uh, that were necessary to make that into a product yet. Uh, we didn't have 4G networks, 5G networks. We didn't even have 3G networks yet. And, and so, you know, you couldn't use this in a mobile uh, type of format in 1998. There are other technologies that just weren't there. So I guess one of the lessons is uh, don't be too early in some ways, but uh, you can be prescient and have an idea, but you need the surrounding technologies and the environment to be there to turn that really into a business, into a product. So yeah, later on, 2007, it gets acquired, acquired, acquired. The technology eventually ends up at Apple. And there you go. Uh, and off to the races. But that was a good almost 10 years um, for that to happen. So, you know, you really have to, I think, as an entrepreneur, uh, be realistic about when the computing platforms, I mean, if you don't have cloud, you can't do certain things, right? And 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 that's something I think that has been a lesson for me uh, to, that I hopefully uh, learned a little bit from. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, Canada's leading provider of alternative investment solutions. They say that diversification is the only free lunch in investing. 
traditional investment portfolios with just two assets, stocks and bonds, aren't sufficiently diversified for many investors. For investors looking to diversify their portfolios beyond just two assets, the Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF is the first multi-strategy alternative ETF providing instant diversification with exposure to six alternative asset classes in a low-cost ETF. Diversify your investment portfolio in an instant with the Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, trading under the symbol 1CONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out how to diversify your portfolio now at accelerateshares.com. And with respect to your various entrepreneurial ventures and roles at different companies, machine language has seemingly always been the common thread. And machine learning, AI has become very popular. However, it seems like probably the average person, while I have heard of it, they, they probably don't know exactly how it works. So from a high level, can you explain to our listeners you know, what machine learning is and more importantly, what it can accomplish, why it's such a phenomenal new technology? Sure. So machine learning is a machine learning stuff. Like again, and so what is learning? Well, there's there's kind of rote learning, right? Where you just you know memorize a lot of stuff, right? Like you memorize a lot of music, you become a musician. Well, maybe, but that's <laughs> you know there's there's also uh, different techniques to learn, uh, different types of this uh, technology. But the basic idea is that, that you take data. And you feed it into the machine and the machine learns that data and it learns statistics about that data and how that data interrelates in in different ways. So that allows you to recall the information, to find associations in that information. And, you know, humans can memorize lots of, for example, music like that. Uh, But uh, seeing the correlations between Bach and Eddie Van Halen's guitar riffs, computers are a little bit better at that because you can't hold all of it in your head at one time. So the really cool thing about machine learning as applied to really large data sets is that, you know, the, the, the machine learning is able to uh, really understand trends in massive amounts of data that, that one human really can't do. So that's, that's one piece of magic. Now, generative AI is adding a whole different level um, to our capabilities. And so machine learning, I, if I were to give an analogy of, of this, was kind of rote memorization. Generative AI, what's I think really surprising to a lot of people is this kind of human-like behavior that's coming out of it, right? You look at ChatGPT and it's it's kind of surprising. It's not like the machine learning that we've had up until now. The machine learning that we've had up until now really is rote memorization. You show it a thousand pictures of cats and it learns those thousand pictures of cats. And if you tell that machine learning model, hey, give me a picture of a cat, it'll take a piece of that one, piece of that one, piece of that one, collage it all together, and here's your new cat. But if you showed it a picture of a purple polka-dotted cat, it would say that's not a cat, generally speaking, right, with some exceptions, because it's just rote memorized what a cat is. It doesn't have an idea of really cat as a concept, right? The human thing that's really cool about these generative models now is that it, it takes it to a different level and does something that's creepily a little bit humanish that we we see as being human, where it says, okay, I, I know a cat, so and I know Picasso, so I can actually draw draw a Picasso cat. You can tell one of these models, give me a Picasso cat, and we'll recognize as a human that that's a Picasso-ish cat, right? Because it's got a model for what is Picasso and what is cat, right? So that generalization capability is really new. This is a new type of thing. And that's what I think is so surprising is the behaviors that you get when when you can generalize. And generalization means that 
you have this big statistical model of what a cat is. It's not just that it has four legs and this and that. It can have a probability density of different tails, different tail sizes, different paw sizes, different colors, and all of this stuff. And now the second thing that you're able to do once you have what is a cat is that you can create things that are coloring outside of the lines a little bit, right? You can have a Picasso cat. You can have a blue cat with with red stripes. You can have a Picasso cat. You can have a Monet cat. You can have a Monet cat. You can do these kind of creative things that we find to be kind of human once you have a model of what cat is. You can have Doraemon, which is this Japanese anime character that has no ears and you still recognize it as a cat, a blue cat with no ears, right? So that's the kind of surprisingly human thing. And yeah, it's not just about pictures of cats. We can use that kind of technology to be creative in all kinds of human areas, like engineering a new bridge, engineering a new financial product, all these kind of things. And that's what's really surprising and really powerful about this new generation of machine learning compared to what we've had before. I agree. Generative AI is such a cool technology, and many folks would be familiar with certain aspects of that, whether it's text-based applications such as ChatGPT, which is fairly popular, and you know, you type something in and something really cool pops out most of the time, or the generative image applications such as MidJourney and others that create some really cool graphics. Now, what you're you're working on specifically is industrial generative AI. What is that? So this is taking generative AI, not to just do language tasks, but and not to just do pictures, but to actually use the same kind of creative capability of this new machine learning to do creative tasks in industrial applications, industrial meaning enterprise business applications, things like developing a new financial product or using it to detect things in, in an IoT environment in a factory, this kind of way, to do predictive analytics uh, using this, this new capability. That's great. Now, focusing on your company, Zapata AI, which was actually spun out of Harvard University in 2017. Can you provide some of the background and what you've accomplished since that spin out? Yeah, so we've actually, we started working on applying uh, the models that we had. We come out of a, a lab that did linear algebra. I know that's a kind of uh, ethereal <laughs> uh, uh, term, mathematical term that that, that, that that is not really a category. And so when I tell people we're a linear algebra company, uh, people kind of get a little bit weirded out by that. But but basically, we came out of a, a, a lab that did quantum algorithms. What are quantum algorithms? Well, it's the kind of math that does these linear algebra problems, these high dimensional space problems. From there, we were, from the very beginning, looking at places where we could use this to do industrial applications. So where can we use linear algebra, this high dimensional space, really difficult math stuff to do practical stuff in uh, in industry, in business? And and one of the, the, the places that we found very immediately, so this is 2017, our first patent filing in generative modeling was actually in 2018, less than an hour, less than a year after we were uh, formed. And we, we realized very quickly that generative modeling, because of what we described with how these things work, you know, a model of a tail for a cat and a pause for a cat, and these are all things that are very much like the math that we do use in physics and chemistry in, in the lab that we were in. And so we, we realized that we can apply this to things like large language models, which are these large statistical models. We can do what we do in particle physics and in chemistry and apply it to 
this generative AI paradigm and a lot of other industrial mathematics uh, problems. So we, we spun the technology out, did a lot of work on the IP, did a lot of development, developed a platform that allows us to train these models and compare these models. And then we got engaged with uh, industry, with uh, a bunch of different uh, vertical uh, companies uh, in energy and, and, and other sectors. Uh, that had these problems and wanted to apply these algorithms uh, to their actual business problems. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, Canada's leading provider of alternative investment solutions. Warren Buffett once said, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to arbitrage and you'll feed him forever. Now, investors can be like Buffett with the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, a fixed-income alternative with low duration and tax efficiency for investors seeking to diversify their fixed-income portfolios beyond bonds. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, trading under the symbol ARB-ARB on the TSX, aims to generate consistent, low-volatility returns through SPAC and merger arbitrage. Find out why Warren Buffett loves arbitrage at AccelerateShares.com. And in terms of practical applications, I'm sure there are many. I went uh, cruising through your website and I saw a pretty interesting video of you guys working with Andretti Motorsports and applying you know, your software to all the analytics that goes into car racing, which was super cool. Can you discuss you know, whatever would be the most sort of practical applications that resonate with the layperson in terms of understanding how the rubber hits the road, so to speak, as this technology applies to real-world applications. Well, let's talk very specifically, pun intended, about the rubber hitting the road, because that's actually <laughs> one of the use cases that, that we're able to talk about, which is the slip angle of a tire. Uh, what's a slip angle of a tire? Well, it's well the, 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 the direction that that tire is moving on a track when you go around and you're racing at 200 miles an hour. That's really important because to win a race, in racing, you have to... Uh, do pit stops and change your tires, tires at certain times because the tires degrade and then they're slower over time. But you got to choose your your marks about when you're going to do that because it takes time to pit a tire and, and change the tires. So when you do that, how you do that is how you win and lose a race uh, strategy-wise. So, so to figure out when that tire is degrading or how it's degrading or when that speed is falling off, you need really good physical models of this stuff. And it turns out we can use generative AI uh, to be predictive in that way. Why? Because we can learn what the slip angle is of that tire. What's the slip angle? It's where it's sliding on the track. Well, we've got about 100 some sensors on that IndyCar when it's going around the track. So we have a lot of data. The problem is there are certain physical properties like the slip angle of that tire that we don't have a sensor for because you can't put accelerometers on the outside of an open wheel racing car because if you rub the wall it's gone and that's a pretty expensive day um and they also throw off the balance you can't you just can't do it um you can't use gps because you're doing going 200 miles an hour and at the last indy 500 there was a tie down to one ten thousandth of a second so gps too slow um cameras are not accurate enough so what do you do you don't have a sensor for slip angle well what about the tire direction isn't that the slip angle no because when you're going 200 miles an hour and the car goes left you turn the car left the car wants to go right because of centrifugal force so that is not the slip angle so what do you do well we have 20 years of historical data uh with the andretti team of cars going around the track with all these hundreds or so sensors and what we can do is like we learn with generative ai what a cat is we can learn what a steering trace is what a we can model that kind of behavior and then we can actually synthesize what that inferred channel is based on the correlations that we learn. 
So uh, we're able to use generative AI to very accurately generate an inferred sensor that allows us then to feed into our tire degradation models and our race strategy models to figure out when we should pit the car, which is a win or lose uh, decision oftentimes uh, in, in the racing world. From a competitive dynamic in, in your industry, how are you able to offer faster, cheaper, and more, more accurate generative AI when looking at your website and, and the investor presentation that, that comes up a lot? How are you able to do that versus, versus the competitors? The simple trite answer, pithy answer would be math, but it's a different kind of math that we're using. So a lot of what we've heard of is these neural networks where deep learning is really based on uh, neural networks, which work really well. We see it. I mean, chat GPT is, is great. You know, GPT-4, GPT-5 eventually would be better. But what are we doing? We, we, when we went from GPT-3 to GPT-4, we, we grew the, the model from, you know, one point something billion parameters to a trillion parameters. You know, it's like 10x, 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 which is great for Jensen and the NVIDIA guys, <laughs> really great for NVIDIA stock. Um, but at some point, it becomes a real mess because, you know, these G GPUs are expensive. They throw out a lot of carbon and heat. So it's not a sustainable thing. It's, it's really not sustainable even from a business perspective because these models get more and more and more expensive to run. So, so what do you do? Well, the problem is that the math that's running them is based on these neural networks, which worked great. And, and when the solution was just throw more and more and more GPUs, that worked. But we're kind of getting to a point where that math doesn't work anymore. And the math that we have that we uh, coming out of a quantum world that works for quantum physics is designed to do that math more efficient. We deal with these statistical models like uh, the model of a cat or what a cat is or the, 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 the steering trace in a, in a racing car all the time in quantum physics and quantum chemistry. And, and in those cases, you know, the models are immense as far as the variables and the variable space. These are huge math problems. You know, well, what is a collider doing in high energy particle physics at Oak Ridge, right? So for us, you know, we know how to do that. We've been doing that kind of math for, for decades with a different kind of model, a different kind of math. And that comes out of the physics world. So the machine learning people were over in their world saying more GPUs, more GPUs, because it worked and it worked really well. Here we were in the physics world and the physical chemistry world saying, well, there are other ma mathematical models that can do this. And now we're applying that to machine learning with a completely new model that is actually quicker, faster, better. It's these quantum algorithms that will eventually run on quantum hardware, but they can run actually on GPUs today much faster than the neural networks can run. From an investor's perspective thus far, you look no further than NVIDIA's share price and clear Clearly, you know, they're going to be making a lot of money with all the GPUs being acquired and snapped up. Now, with respect to offering artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to enterprises, that's kind of an unknown, you know, the chat GPTs of the world, the mid-journeys, and are they going to be able to extract profits from that, have great business models? Now, with respect to your company, can you talk about the business model and how the technology Will translate to profits for investors. Sure, I, I think there there are a couple of different categories. It's still unknown whether you know the language model thing is going to be you know a big enterprise business. Right. Um, there are definitely though certain uh, areas where language models are going to be helpful for interfacing with data and this kind of a thing. Um, but the idea that you're going to take a a model that's trained on the entire internet and you know 
that has been trained on Ozzy Osbourne heavy metal lyrics and Aesop's <laughs> fables and children's novels and apply that to filling in a customs form for a company. Uh, is a little bit silly. You don't need that big a model to do that stuff. Maybe you can use parts of that model, but it needs to be retrained. It also needs to be run securely inside a company because if you're going to use company data and people's private data, uh, if you're a healthcare company in regulated industries and in, in finance and, and, and banks and that kind of a thing, you can't just like take a model in there, hoover in all your data and, and let everyone access it. That's not a good model. So uh, I think we're still in the early days of figuring out how we're going to do that. In our case at Zapata, uh, because of the way we've made our models smaller and more pliable and more trainable, we've made it cost-effective where you can take your model and some of these open source models, bring them into an enterprise and, and be able to retrain them with, at a reasonable cost for that kind of an application. So you can train it on the data that you're actually looking at, not on the entire internet, which leads to you know all kinds of, we call it hallucinations, where you know the, 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 the model just makes shit up. Yeah, you know that 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 that's not good. You can't do that with like somebody's you know clinical trial data that you're trying to fill in for for an FDA uh, submission or something like that, or people's financial data. That just wouldn't be cool. So the language model is one thing, but there's also this other side of using generative AI for the kind of use case we talked about with Andretti. You know, you can use that kind of virtual sensor thing, yeah, for cars, for automotive, but also for things like new insurance products and and, and different things like that. We're we're getting creative about the products and generating new data, generating new scenarios, and this kind of a thing. So the numerical side of the business has pretty immediate effect. And, and there are a lot of companies now looking into how do we use not just the language model models, but these numerical models uh, to do really interesting, important things in data analysis inside companies. And so I think it's not even a question that new data analysis techniques and these kind of things in, in this world of big data and data-driven company decision-making are going to be important and people are going to invest in and spend money there. It seems like we're so early stage with respect to generative AI. So it's great to see what you guys are able to accomplish. And I'm sure there's so many applications that people have not addressed yet that are going to come out in the future. And so really looking forward to uh, your future progress at Zapata AI. And now, Christopher, prior to letting you go and wrapping up the show, uh, I thought it was very interesting. And we chatted about before the show how you have a black belt in judo, a very experienced in jiu-jitsu, and, and a lifelong martial artist. Did your success in martial arts contribute to your success in business and economics? And if so, how? What's your viewpoint on that? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, judo, um, grappling, uh, uh, you know, in a wider sense, uh, really teaches you resilience and grit. Uh, it teaches you humility. You know, uh, you have to problem solve and you, you lose a lot, actually, you know, <laughs> that which teaches you humility that you're not always going to be right. But it also teaches you how to get up. Uh, there's there's a judo saying from from Kano, the guy who invented judo. It's like fall down seven, get up eight. And, and really that resilience, I think, is a lifelong uh, lesson. It's great. Uh, and why I recommend, you know, some form of uh, disciplined martial arts to, to everyone. Because, you know, really in, in business, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You know, read the biography of anyone who's really made it. And uh, it is that, uh, that uh, social media meme of, well, okay, here's what success really looks like. It's pretty messy. And, and really, I think martial arts trains you to, to really keep a cool head to understand your environment and, okay, I lost. Now, what, what did I do wrong? And be introspective about that 
and, and play it back. I'm sure I know you have a you have a jujitsu background. I, I'm sure you've done that where you, like all night you're playing back. Oh, I had just done that. I got into that choke. How did I get into that choke? How did I get out of it? I could have got out of that. And you problem solve. Yeah. And hopefully after a lot of experience, you, you learn how to uh, deal with various problems. So, yeah, I think that there are really good lessons in there for how we deal with business problems and, you know, environments and working environments that I think are really valuable. Oh, man, you're totally right. Uh, last weekend, I got trapped in a, in a buggy choke. And so I had to go home and watch some YouTube videos on, on escapes that I could practice so that it doesn't happen again. So lessons learned. And it's certainly one of the most humbling experiences to, to get tapped out and certainly checks your ego. So uh, I definitely understand those life lessons. And Christopher, it's great having you on the show. Love what you're being able to accomplish at Zapata AI. You guys are taking the company public, which is super exciting. And we wish you the best of luck. We'll be uh, watching you guys as you go. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.